This is Across Culture, the podcast exploring culture, identity, and the Christian faith. Hosted by Jesse Tang. Well, listeners, this is the last episode of the year of 2021. Thank you so much for sticking with me this year and tuning in to Across Culture. It really has been a joy to work on this podcast and just to be able to welcome different guests who I'm really thankful for, who have been able to share a little bit about themselves and the things that they are interested in and passionate about. So I was thinking of doing some kind of 2021 one reflection Uh, but to be honest I haven't done my own reflection I like to like sit down and journal and write stuff and I haven't really done that so I actually came across some questions which I found in my screenshots folder from a friend of mine who posted this last year some questions to think about the year that's just gone and questions to think about the year that is to come. Well, I've picked out a couple which I'd love to share with you and let this be a time where you can prayerfully reflect as well. So I do want to encourage you if you like to to pause after I read a question and think about it or write it down or something like that. So I've got four questions which I'd like to read out. This is the first one. Who are five people I have met this year that I believe God put in my path for a reason? So who are five people I have met this year that I believe God put in my path for a reason? Oh, and don't forget to name the reasons as well. The next question is, do I recognize the season of life I'm currently in? Third question Is God growing a dream within me and in what way does that dream relate to God's mission? Do I need to ask others to pray and or work with me about the dream growing within me? And then the final question which I'd like to share today is what is one book or one podcast (laughs) that has greatly impacted my faith this year? I hope it's across culture. Obviously it doesn't have to be. But if it is across culture, I'm honoured. Please let me know. I'd love to hear it. And I would love to hear your feedback about the podcast itself. Are there any topics which you'd love to be covered? And in general, what do you think? All right, I hope you enjoyed doing that. Now it's time to go into the main bulk of the episode. And this is an interview with Rooney Gunawardener. And she and I go to the same church, actually. She's an incredible lady. Uh, You probably know her already. I feel like she knows loads of people. But anyway, this is an interview with her. I hope you enjoy it. We do talk about different things to do with culture and faith and in particular, intercultural reconciliation. Welcome, Ruani. So excited to be interviewing you here on Across Culture. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jessie. Yes, it's almost the end of the week, so <laughs> looking forward to Sunday. Looking forward worship. to seeing you on Sunday as well. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So I had in mind to interview you for a while now, so it's great that um, I finally got you. And for people who don't know you, it would be great if you could also introduce yourself. So could you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you're from, that kind of thing? 
So my name is Druveni Gunavodana. Uh, I'm originally from Sri Lanka, but I have lived most of my adult life here in the UK. Uh, I'm a mother of two grown-up sons uh, who I had the pleasure of raising on my own. Uh, for wonderful, wonderful lads. I work for the Anglican Church in an administrative capacity, but um, I am also involved in lots of other um, areas of the church. So um, my tent making is 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 a desk job, mm. but but my life is is all God's, and I just do everything else that I can get get my hands into the rest of the time in my life. You are quite a busy lady. <laughs> it's been hard to pin you down. Um, so what are all the other things that you get involved with as well? Right. Um, so I have, um, uh, uh, at the moment, I'm involved um, uh, in helping uh, lead a multicultural, intercultural church plant in Harrow. Uh, which you were also a part of, Jesse, and, and that has been a, a lifelong passion for me, or I must say, at least in the last 25 years, I have seen the need for the church to uh, be culturally united as a, as a, as a worshipping community, and uh, so I help, help lead that, so that keeps me busy. Um, and also, at the moment, I'm studying uh, theology with uh, Semilatus College, um, and uh, it's part of a new pioneering program for older people who have been in ministry for a long time, who mm. have basically <laughs> slipped through the net or escaped oh. or <laughs> been hiding away for a while. And, uh, and they want to train us up and, and, and uh, send us out into ministry, into churches and to encourage worshiping communities. So I'm very, very privileged to be part of this uh, program called the Caleb mm. Stream. And we are yeah. 10 of us uh, from around the country doing that. So oh, great. Um, yes, yeah, so I do that. So I've got a busy life. And that's on, with my day job as well. So uh, I think even I think <laughs> even before you started the Caleb Stream, you already had a busy life. <laughs> so you just uh, added another thing. Um, but exciting as well. Yeah, so it's great to hear a little bit about what you're involved in and we're going to explore that a bit later on in more depth as well. But could you tell us a little bit about your background and what has got you into the stage that you're in now? Right, so um, I was raised in Sri Lanka, as I said earlier. Um, uh, I was bilingual, so I spoke Sinhala, is my mother tongue, that's the language I studied in. And uh, growing up in the city and in the girls' Anglican school, I spoke English as well. So switching from one language to another is, was quite a normal thing. Um, and lots of people do that in that part of the world. So it's nothing special. But um, as years went by and, and uh, as I sort of lived away from Sri Lanka now, most of my life, um, mixing with a lot of you know, people, local people in this country, I realized there was a huge part of me no matter where I have been, um, where I will be or where I have been placed, that my roots were not going away. It's there. And, hmm. and that's, that's something that I really was very curious. How can I offer that bit, part of me that's just so um, God-ordained, I think, that, you know, the, that's how I can... Uh, describe it how can I offer that part uh, 
uh, in worship because everywhere I went, or even when I was growing up in Sri Lanka, worship was in English. My church worshipped in the, the local cathedrals, or it was Anglican worship, mm. Anglican liturgy, English hymns. So my faith yeah. language was English. But a big part of me was Sri Lankan and Sinhalese. So, um, so that, that sort of was niggling away at me for a very long time. And I was aware of faith and culture uh, from a quite young age, actually. Um, it started when the, when the troubles in Sri Lanka happened in the mid-80s, uh, between the two communities, the Sinhala and Tamil communities. I realized that, you know, oh my goodness, suddenly people who we considered, you know, friends and family, people were warring just because of race and, and culture. Mm. And um, that broke my heart. And uh, but the only bridging community were the Christians on both sides. And I thought this, you know, what we have, the gospel message is something pro so precious yeah. uh, and, and, and needs to be uh, treated that way. And, and all of yourself needs to be involved in what, what you do. So um, I was very fortunate once again to be chosen to uh, uh, be part of a reconciliation uh, training scheme a couple of years ago mm. called the journey of hope pilgrimage i was the first cohort and where we um, uh, explored various um, uh, themes of reconciliation uh, visited so many centers in the country starting from Coventry cathedral which has been a center for reconciliation for uh, quite some time now yes and um in, while doing that, we did a life mapping exercise, and and it was so clear to me that from a very young age, there were sort of marked points in my life where faith and culture were in conflict, or you know where I had to take decisions, where life big life decisions were taken, and when changes happened, these two things always were in conflict. So. Wow. Um, so that's when I really uh, uh, asked God to take me on a, uh, you know, narrow my path, narrow my path and help me to find this sort of um, uh, way that I can worship him and live my life in a way that I can um, reconcile those two things. So, um, yes. Wow, thank you for that. So you did this training the reconciliation training is is that what it is and yeah i mean what's that journey like so once you did that and following on from that how have you felt with the talking about developing in reconciliation between faith and culture and also has that spurred you on to doing other things to do with this yes i mean um i i got um sort of involved in that program because even before that uh, uh, there was a Sri Lankan reconciliation women's group that I have been involved in for a very long time so it's through that I uh, heard about this uh, this particular program um, conflict is something that we all have to navigate in our lives isn't it it's it's um, well it's not just wars and you know 
completely in a macro scale, but even in a micro scale, families, oh my goodness, if you're in a family, you are bound to have experienced some kind of conflict. So, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I navigate quite a lot of it uh, most of the time. So um, uh, it's just learning how to, uh, to be that non-anxious presence. I can never say that or to be um, that reconciling person of standing in that liminal space mm. where you are neither there or here, you know, standing right in the gap where your, um, your presence and your being is a reconciling uh, element where there is conflict. So you can learn. You can, it's, not, it's not an event. It's not something that you can prescribe it's <laughs> something that god sort of works in you and through you to in situations so i'm learning as i mm. go so you mean being that person who can reconcile two parties or are you talking yes. about internal work um not only internal work where I, i've noticed that in my personally me i've always been in places where I have been the only Asian person in, yeah. you know, so I'm bringing my culture into that presence, you know, in that space, to that space. So I'm sure you would have experienced it, Jesse. Um, mm-hmm. And and I realize our worlds, our, our life is so much richer when we bring cultures together. And no, what better place than London to do that? So you know, and if you don't um, acknowledge that and bring out the, the goodness of these cultures that gather together, we have a lot to lose. So, um, and church, I think, uh, is so much richer. And then it says in scripture right through uh, in the New Testament about uh, Jew and Gentile, you know, working together, uh, yeah. worshiping together. So, uh, when I found Mosaic, uh, I jumped in with you know, both, both my feet when Mohan recommended that I uh, yeah. join this worshipping community. Yeah. Oh, actually, how did it happen? How did you join Mosaic in the first place? I've been going on about intercultural things, intercultural church for quite some time now, being involved in a multicultural worship forum with uh, other people. Um, and uh, so people were aware of these things. So pe- it's mm. it's people who are known. I think Do- Dr. Anna Poulsen knew about this, and she, uh, I think she also knows Mohan. So through that, yeah, through networking with like-minded people, uh, I heard about Mosaic, and I was thrilled when Mohan invited me to, to join you yeah. guys to watch. Yes, <laughs> I'm also thrilled that, you know, we're at this church together and we're co-workers as well. And I think you bring a lot of wisdom, so thank you. Actually, I remember when I first when I first um, officially joined Mosaic, we had a Zoom conversation. Do you remember that, Rooney? And you were just talking, I could see the passion from you already. And you were talking a lot about worship and why is worship music just done in the same way all the time? And how can we expand our worship repertoires? Um, 
so yeah I really saw that passion in you so it's exciting to be able to plant with you as well so Mosaic is a new church intercultural church in Harrow northwest London and yeah very diverse place isn't it culturally and religiously so pretty key actually intercultural churches should be everywhere (laughs) but it's pretty key to have it in some of these urban settings which are very multicultural anyway so in terms of intercultural reconciliation I know that there are some outworkings of that you've got a blog I believe and you do some groups yeah I'm just wondering what does it look like practically to do intercultural reconciliation obviously you said about being in these places where you bring your faith and where you can stand between parties I don't know it sounds a bit like mediation in some ways or at least just having your presence there but what are some of the other ways that um, you seek to help reconciliation between cultures as well I have a blog that I started just last year called interculturalru.com um, it's uh, what I do uh, in that forum is that if I see a film or if some thoughts come in my mind, I try and put it down in writing. And um, I tend to look at things through the lens of interculturalism. We don't give ourselves credit. We are constantly mixing with different cultures, but we don't acknowledge that in a way that we honor each other. And what I want to see happen more, especially in the church, is to honor that within each other. And just like the, just like the Trinity, you know, like God the Father honors the Son, and God the, you know, the Son honors the Spirit, and it's, it's a, it's a dance of the Trinity. The Trinity honors each other, and they are a united uh, forum. And and the church needs to model that kind of unity of um, honoring the other person and glorifying the other then so that you don't seek the glory. You, you offer that to somebody else. And when you do that, you don't need to um, seek glory. Um, I, uh, I'm not, I actually have been listening to a lot of, lot of lectures and reading lots about um, um, uh, theological uh, frameworks for church so um, I didn't dream this up I'm I'm repeating something that I have heard so I do 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 say that but uh, Trinity is a a great example that we have for church and um, yes so um, it's interculturalru.com is my is my blog and I don't write uh, overtly Christian content because I want it to go be I want to be in, at the edge I am in the church it is for the you know I want it to be uh, out of the edge because the world I I uh, inhabit is not totally Christian um, I grew up in multicultural Sri Lanka where there were majority were the Buddhists um, and there were Hindus there were Muslims uh, you know I have lots of friends from other faiths I want them to read my blog. And what I do is I look at it in a way that I try and write it in a way that it draws attention to God. And hopefully, you know, um, people can see that. Um, 
uh, whether it's a film review or whether it's um, uh, thoughts on a, on an Ignatian prayer night I had, <laughs> what whatever it is, I try and try and write it in a way that it's accessible to the to everybody. Yeah, to it definitely people. sounds like it's accessible. Yeah, I don't want to live in a I don't want bubble. to live in a bubble. No, no, <laughs> no. I don't think Jesus expected that of us. So. Yeah, so it's good, like, even though your work is within the church and you're doing theological studies and you're planting a church, that you also have other outlets and other platforms where it's with people who are not necessarily churched as well. So, yeah, I think that's important. That's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, good outreach um, for friends and other people who would be interested. And do you know much about your readership who tends to visit your blog and likes it and comments we have lots of people christian and non-christian some people across over in the states i i did did uh it was also another film review actually and i always call myself i'm not a film buff but there are times that i've reviewed films. Uh, it was um on the japanese uh, the hiroshima um, um anniversary the anglican right. japanese community uh, had a film called the paper called paper lanterns a wonderful mm. story of an old japanese man who dedicated most of his life to finding the uh, families of some american soldiers who who died uh, there in the bomb and and connected those families with the last moments of these american soldiers there in japan and i thought that's such a wonderful story of intercultural reconciliation you know mm. um, so I wrote about that and I had quite a lot of uh, feedback from people over in the States um, who, who read that because um, of the connections to the story or to the States. So uh, I forget that gentleman's name, but he's, he was a wonderful Japanese person. So, I, I mean, God's world is just so rich mm. with, with culture. And, and when you, I mean, there's two sides to it. Culture, there, there's, you get the, parts of it that you see that's tangible right um what you eat what you listen to what you sing your dance and all that um but there are lots of elements of culture that are not so good as well right <laughs> that each culture has that <laughs> will have things that uh, that are not god honoring so what I always say is when we are brushing our shoulders against each other, we, we, these things come out and, and we refine each other. And um, I know my own self that certain, you know, not so nice things of my own self have surfaced in a multicultural, intercultural setting, which I took note of and I, you know, learned to give up and learn to correct myself and so we teach each other as well we it's part of our sanctification process I think um, and for me that is that is key especially in church when we why we do that yeah. uh, wow hmm would you say that people are I don't know the word like tested more or people people's worst side of themselves come out more in a more multicultural or intercultural setting compared to if you're in a monocultural monoethnic setting with people who are thinking the same as you well 
it's it's not just the worst. It's just that we, it's an effort, isn't it, Jesse? I mean, when I'm with my own singly speaking Sri Lankan friends, I it's it's easy. The communication is easier, right? But when yeah. you're with other people, you have to make that effort to be understood in a mm. way that the other understands you. And um, it's an effort. So when there's a need for an effort to be put in, <laughs> you might, you know, your, yeah. your patience is tested, your, yes. your long-suffering is tested, your generosity is tested. You know, all the fruits of the Spirit, it just <laughs> gets tested. And uh, oh my goodness, I sometimes can't understand when, well, for me it's natural because it's my culture, but some, for somebody else, it may not be so. So you just have to, um, just have to work that much harder. So that can bring up the wrong side, of the not so nice side of a person. So uh, yeah, I see that. At the same time, it, it will make you see another person's point of view and make you a better person I think yeah yeah I understand I actually interviewed somebody in series two or three and she was talking about intercultural relationships particularly romantic mm -hmm. relationships mm -hmm. and I think I was just um, asking her like well you know there's so many difficulties what's the point <laughs> or why why should we go for intercultural relationships and she was just saying how much richness there is and actually you're constantly learning something new about the other person or about someone's culture or, or about the way they do things and she was saying for her and her husband so she's dutch um white dutch and her husband is congolese i think and she was saying how they like never stop talking because they always have to talk about something they always um they have to explain things to each other, why things are done this way, what they're thinking, and just communicating all and all the time. And I see that actually, when a church is diverse, people of different backgrounds and cultures, ethnicities together, that actually the best thing is to constantly dialogue, communicate with one another, learn from each other, and then in that way, you learn more about who God is. Um, yeah, and I was wondering, actually, maybe some listeners don't know the difference between multicultural and intercultural. And I think we've thrown those two words around. Would you be able to give some kind of explanation of multicultural and intercultural? Yes, I can I can try. Jesse, I know you, you can do this much better than I can. <laughs> I will try. <laughs> Being an ethnomusicologist, I haven't had half the training you've had. But <laughs> multicultural, I, as I said, I grew up. In multicultural Sri Lanka. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I went to a girls' Anglican school where the majority of the girls were Buddhists. Christians were a minority. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah. Why did and, they go uh, to that school? Because it was a good one. School. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a good school. And I must say, one of my happiest memories of my childhood have been in school. So, um, it was a fantastic place. Um, mm. And um, where multiculturalism and cultures exist together, uh, side by side, like my street uh, down here where I live, is very multicultural. Uh, we've got all nationalities. Um, but unless we interact with each other and, and share our lives together, we will not be intercultural. 
like my Indian neighbors are very good at bring, bringing me their Indian food and, you know, um, sharing their, their cultural delights with me whenever they have a festival or a ceremony. And I do the same. And cool. um, so that is uh, some intercultural uh, some interaction, you know, when, yeah. when you share your lives together. And in church, especially, we do this with language because language is so important as a part of, you know, language, your language is your way of expressing yourself. So um, what you do with it is in worship is so, so key because um, you're bringing that culture into God's presence, you know, mm. um, and you, you're offering that to God. So, um, and that's that's a beautiful thing, and that's something uh, sadly I didn't do growing up. Although I spoke Sinhalese, I all my worship was in English. I don't regret that I learned so much, but I wish I had been able to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you. Oh. I didn't prep you, but I wanted to ask you a bit about that. Actually, mm-hmm. that you said that your spiritual life and journey has mostly been in English because of how you grew up. So. Yeah, so what is that like? And and now as you're thinking about all these intercultural things, what is it like for you to think actually, well, you are Sinhalese and how can you use that language to worship God? Like, have you been able to pray in Sinhala or worship or, yeah, just, or read the Bible in it? I can read the Bible in it. I can pray a little bit in it, but I'm more fluent in English, as, as, as you know. It is because I didn't use that language to pray, pray in. Would it be strange? Would it be strange for you to pray in it? It's a little bit strange because there's, Sinhalese is, is a language where you get, the written Sinhalese is very high flown, and colloquial Sinhalese is very different. So which version do you use when you, when you pray? Uh, I'm certainly not that fluent to use the high flown Sinhala. Uh, and then it doesn't will not show the intimacy that I want to show to God if I use that kind of language. Uh, although recently I heard, you know, in the old form of uh, liturgy and, and hymns, we use the word thy and thou a lot. Um, in, in Old English, apparently that those were used as forms of intimacy rather than formality. It's oh. very easy for us to think, yes. Uh, a, a friend of mine who was an English lit graduate just told me that just last week, actually. Wow. So that, I learned something new by mixing with these people. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> Thou was more uh, an intimate way of talking to people rather than a formal way. That's uh, interesting. So, wow. yeah. And we, we think that's too formal and old fashioned and, and, and we change it to you. But uh, I wish they kept those old hymns as they were because, uh, they, you know, sometimes they've changed the words. To, to contemporary English and it's lost its, uh, um, you know, uh, mm. yeah. specialness. Meaning and style. Yeah. And yeah. so I wonder if it's, so in terms of intimacy, I wonder if it's like, because God has different characters. So hmm. I wonder if it's how do you want to relate to God in that moment? Or how do you want to worship God in that moment? Because you could say, Papa or Abba, mm. you know, Daddy, Daddy God sounds different mm. from Father God, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So I don't know how it works. I was also thinking about this in terms of um, Chinese language, 
when reading from Chinese Bible, if you're reading Cantonese, it's using yes. like the Cantonese formal language, mm-hmm. wh- which is different from how we speak. So if I read, if I hear scripture being read out, I don't always understand it. Or, or if I hear any Cantonese things being read out, like the news, for example, I don't always understand it. So it makes me think, actually, how do people pray? Are they putting on that formal hat? You know, like, or like if you write down a prayer and you read it out, it would be different from if you wanted to just pray from your heart. Hmm. Well, you want to offer reverence to God, isn't it? I, you know, we have, I know these days we have made, uh, you know, Sometimes when you love talk songs, about, you can make it like love songs. They make it very chummy. But in Asian culture, there's a, quite a lot of reverence offered to, offered to God and, and Jesus. So I do yeah. not want to do. You know, I'm a bit nervous and scared. Probably um, I can sometimes even hear. My mother used to pray in Sinhalese, and um, and I remember the last time she visited me. She's now passed away ten years, but. The last time she visited me, she sat in my kitchen and prayed for us and blessed the house. And, and she did that in Singhala. It's very precious. It's a very, very precious memory. I oh. wish I recorded it, but I don't think mm. I even had a smartphone then. <laughs> so um, it was just so special. I really hear the words, Pianini, Pianini's father. And the way she wow. calls, calls Pianini, there, there was a certain sense of real closeness and intimacy in the way she got it. and I can't say the way she did it so so yeah wow so it's like maybe more like her heart language yeah. or how yeah. she connects to God and we can see that did she use formal language would you say it's semi-formal it was okay. semi-formal because she they were, my parents were the I always say this they were the first po- uh, post-colonial adult young adult generation there was huge confusion of identity of you know being brought up in English ways and having oh. English names. They all had English names. Wow. My mother was Florence. My, my, my dad's ah. called Mark. So, you know, uh, there's, they had very English names. And yet they were just trying to learn their own culture after their, you know, uh, after independence. So, um, mm. yeah, we, we grew up in a very sort of a confused state. When I look back, I see that. We didn't know that then, but now I see the reason for most of some of the conflict and some of the uh, tensions and and things, the the way we did things. Uh, The culture was just shaping, uh, trying to take ownership of our own country and our own, you know, culture and whatever. Uh, And most of the, you know, racial tensions came because of that. So... uh, without getting too deep into that that side of affairs because people may say other things but um, um yeah yeah so yeah so culture and language is such a close thing to you and uh, and if i felt that i never used that in worship that's when i started exploring asian worship uh, and saying no we need to bring that side to god because otherwise you're living a, a dual life you come to church and you put on this sort of english self leaving your your true self there you know you know or part of yourself yeah part of mm. yourself Sorry. that's so true and i know like our cultural heritage sticks with us like you said earlier uh, no matter how much of command of language we have 
And so I'm second generation um, British-born Chinese, well, first generation British-born Chinese, second generation Chinese immigrant to the UK. And actually last month, so in October, when Mosaic, we had our celebration commissioning evening, most of the service was in English, but there was this bit where some each person came up to read a verse of Psalm 67, I believe. And for some reason, when our friend Heidi came up and she read the line in Cantonese, like I knew she was going to read in Cantonese, but when she did, just something, something in my heart like <laughs> squeezed or something a little bit. I, I was like, oh, I understand this. Well, I actually didn't even understand it 100%. But there's something there, it's some kind of like affectionate or intimacy or something nice there that I noticed um, when she was reading in Cantonese and I think that the language and also Chinese music it will always stick with me in some ways even though I'm most fluent in English so yeah so I see the importance of our cultural heritage is there. I think it's wonderful that you can understand your your mother's language your parents language because uh, I'm, I must say I put, must put my hand up and say I'm guilty I never taught my children Sinhalese they grew up here, but I had a reason for it because I always thought they, they are growing up here. They're part of this culture. They need to make this um, mm. cult, you know, language of this country their heart language. Um, and they can learn Sinhalese later if they want to. Um, uh, well, that's the stance I took. It may be right, it may be wrong, but um, uh, mm. yeah. Do you think they want to? Well, Sadly, they didn't have a choice, did they? <laughs> so <laughs> I did not speak that. I did uh, because I raised them on my own. They never heard me speaking. If if their dad was at home, they would have you know heard us uh -huh. speaking and picked it up. But yeah. because um, uh, I raised them on my own, um, they heard me talking, of course, on the phone with family and friends, and if, yeah. if other people came to the house. But um, but I did not speak to them. Uh, and I think sometimes there's regret because when they visit Sri Lanka, it's harder for them to to uh, maybe hail a cab or order a, order something in a restaurant or whatever. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's mm. life, isn't it? You do what you what you can at the moment. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I've heard other people say the same thing. The parents speaking to them in English, so they can integrate better or assimilate or, or whatever to the dominant culture. and But it is possible for the child who's probably grown up by now to, or well, I know somebody who their, their parents didn't speak to them in Mandarin and they just went to China, intensive course for a year and became fluent. So it is possible if there's a desire there. Yeah, yeah. everything's possible. Synapses are still intact, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Hope one day they will do that. Yeah. So, but it will take their own motivation. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the, towards the end of our chat, and I'd just love to give you an opportunity now. If there's something you want to share, or an advice, or top tip, or prayer, or any anything, this space is open for you. If there's anything you'd like to um, share with us. Yes, yeah, something that I was thinking, Jesse, through this week is uh, there's an old hymn called Tell Me the Old, Old Story. Do you know that? 
No. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And, mm. and I think what we do in intercultural church is we are still saying the same old story. We are telling the old story in different languages so mm. that people can understand. The, the song goes, uh, the hymn goes, tell me the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon the early dew of morning has passed away at noon. So, you know, the story is said in many ways. Repeat the story. You, you know, we are part of God's story. And if we say it in, in every possible language, there'll be more people who will hear that story. Yeah. So uh, I will sing that song with more meaning, I think, because God oh. really brought it home to me last week. Mm. And, and one moment, uh, what we are doing in intercultural church is telling the old, old story in other languages. That's so good. And each time you tell the old, old story, you learn something new. Yes. And I think even with different languages, different mm. vocabulary that people have, metaphors, yep. song styles as well, yeah. you learn something new from the same old, old story. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'll check out that hymn. Maybe if, if it's on YouTube or something, I can put a link in the episode description as well. Yes, I'll, I'll find a link. I'll see a, a good version of it. Uh, if I yeah. can find it, I'll bring it to you, Jesse. Cool. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much, Rooney, for your time. I really enjoyed the interview and uh, hope that you can come back again. Thank you so much, Jesse.